this is a wonderful uh, little piece of narrative, a little piece of history of people who have encountered Christ and we get this opportunity thousand years, thousands of years later uh, to, 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 to relive it as if we are there. These couple of little narratives remind us and show us how much the world is under a shadow of death. For us in 2017, we have all kind of advanced medical care, highly skilled medical professionals, technologies that can do things that we never imagined could be done when we were younger or that our grandparents could have possibly imagined. Yet even with all these advancements and skills and technologies, the shadow of death hangs heavy over us. Ask any of the health professionals among us They see as much sickness and deterioration and death as what they see healing. Some of us this week will have attended funerals. I conducted one funeral this week and spoke to two other people who are preparing their funerals. Three of my mates conducted funerals just this week for people who had sadly taken their own life. Some of us will have received news of a loved one with a terminal diagnosis. Two state parliaments are considering bills on assisted, assisted death. And most of us this week will have been conscious that our bodies are just that little bit more tired and frail than they used to be. We are so aware of the brokenness of this world. It troubles us, it makes us sad, and we hope and we long for something new. As we read through Mark's Gospel, we keep being introduced to real people like us who are living under the shadow of death. People who, like us, are longing for something new. A couple of weeks ago, we read about the disciples in the mega hurricane storm who thought they were going to die. Last week with Derek in the first part of Mark chapter 5, we we met the man who was possessed by the legion of demons living under the shadow of death. Today we've read about the diseased woman and the dying girl. When each one of these people encounter Christ, we get a glimpse of something new. We see Jesus' kingdom shining its light into the shadows of death. Now, for a moment, we might be intrigued by these stories. We might be warmed by them, encouraged by them, inspired by them, like they're a clickbait story on Facebook but they're written for more. They're written that we might be captivated by these encounters with Christ, that we might be affected, that we might be changed, that we might be transformed, that we might be drawn irresistibly to Jesus in faith. Jesus in this chapter is in the midst of another crowd, Crowds keep gathering around Jesus as they hear about who he is and what he is doing. 
And in the midst of this crowd, a desperate father comes to Jesus. Verse 22 tells us about him, his name is Jairus. He's a man of some social standing. He's part of the religious hierarchy. He is the ruler of the synagogue, the Jewish meeting place. Now Mark, in his Gospel, has already told us that the Jewish religious hierarchy hate Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 6, we see that they have a plot to kill Jesus. From Mark's perspective of history and his Gospel about Jesus, it's only three chapters old and the Jewish hierarchy are making a plot to kill Jesus. They don't want him around anymore, they hate him. But now here we have Jairus, the ruler of the religious hierarchy. He is so desperate. He throws himself at Jesus' feet and pleads, My little daughter is dying. Please come, Jesus, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Have you ever been a desperate parent? seen a desperate parent a few years ago uh, just before we moved down here from Sydney our family were having dinner in the food court underneath Sydney Tower uh, we were eating some kind of fancy food from another country when this uh, busy food court was interrupted by a father a desperate father yelling screaming running through the food court can somebody help does anybody have an EpiPen? I need an EpiPen straight away. His child was having an anaphylactic reaction. His child was dying. He was desperate. He would do anything to get help for the child. Jairus is desperate and he knows enough about Jesus that Jesus has power to do something. Perhaps he's heard about the demons. Perhaps he heard about the storm. Perhaps he's heard about the healings that Jesus has done. He is desperate to see that his little daughter is saved. In verse 23, verse 23, he wants his daughter to be healed and live. Most of the places through the New Testament when we see the word healed, it is the exact same word as saved. Saved and healed are used in the same place all the time. Jairus wants to see his daughter saved from the shadow of death. And so Jesus goes with this desperate father on this emergency life-saving mission, but they're delayed by the crowd. And a desperate woman who's living in the shadow of death. Verse 25, this woman, she is at the opposite end of the social standing to what Jairus is. She's at the opposite end of religious acceptance. We see that she has a medical condition. We don't know much else about it. Mark and the other gospel writers don't tell us much more. But she has been bleeding for 12 years. It tells us she has suffered much. I don't like blood. Uh, I see blood. 
I think about blood like I am now and I even feel a little bit faint. When I was on a teenager, uh, I was on some uh, medication for a couple of years that thinned my blood, uh, that had the side effect of thinning my blood and thinning the lining in my nose. I'd be sitting in class working on a maths exam and suddenly a tap of blood would be pouring out of my nose. It was embarrassing. Uh, it, it was something that I never liked having happen. I used, to play, I used to perform on the pipe organ and I'd be at pipe organ competitions and there's... Yeah, you don't want to hear too much more about it. It was embarrassing. I often felt embarrassed as a teenager, uh, 15, 16, with just blood. The only, the only consolation was our school uniform was a red jumper. You could, you could kind of just do this sometimes. What I went through is nothing compared to what this woman suffers. Embarrassment, shame, but she is sick, very sick. It says that she's suffered, not just from the sickness, but from the treatments that she's gone under to try and find some relief and some healing. You can actually Google or do proper research and find out some of the treatments in the first century for the kind of conditions that she might have had. If you felt faint just about the blood, read about the kind of treatments. She would have been a social outcast. If she had been married before she had this condition, it's very likely she would have lost her husband through this. Because she's bleeding, she would have been ceremonially unclean under the Old Testament law. Permanently unclean. Every time she went to the temple and the priest to offer something that might have brought her cleanness, she was immediately unclean again. She desperately wants to be saved. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes... I will be healed. She too has heard enough about Jesus to expect that he has power to do something, and he does. The healing for her is immediate, right at that very moment. Mark gives us the word in verse 29, right at the start of the sentence, so that we do not miss it immediately. Her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, we know medicines and medical technologies that can bring improvement to health, that can bring healing steadily. This poor woman had tried all that was available to her. And now here in the presence of the one who can calm the wind and the waves with a word, he is the one who can heal every cell and blood vessel in an instant. Now, while she had hoped for healing, and she's got it, she is not prepared for what comes next. She thought and hoped that she could remain anonymous in this jostling crowd of people bumping up against each other and bumping against Jesus. She thought that Jesus would have no idea if she quietly reached out and touched his clothes. Remember, she should not be there. She's unclean, like a leper. 
She shouldn't be in the crowd. She shouldn't be there jostling with other people. She shouldn't be reaching out to touch Jesus. And Jesus exposes her. Verse 30. At once Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Finding her out though, Jesus isn't trying to shame her. Jesus isn't trying to embarrass her. Jesus isn't out to condemn her. Jesus isn't out to make her feel uncomfortable or ostracised. He reaches out to the woman who has reached out to him. He says in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering." Let's just take a time out for a moment. Notice here how tender Jesus is with this woman. It's really only a two-sentence interaction, but there's nothing but tenderness in Jesus' engagement with this woman. And if you look through the pages of Mark's Gospel, or Matthew, or Luke, or John you will see no place where Jesus uses his position of authority or his importance over anyone, particularly over this woman, where he uses it to push forward his own importance. Get away! I'm on a life-saving mission. You're inconveniencing me. You're an unclean woman, don't touch me. You will never see that from Jesus. You'll never see anything but tenderness. Jesus shows us that every position of authority is a position of responsibility to tenderly serve, not to be served. We want to be like Jesus, don't we? As leaders, as husbands, as dads, as bosses as mums, as sisters, as wives, as brothers, as friends. We want to be like Jesus. Using every responsibility that we have to serve, to serve tenderly. Now, we will not always get it right. We will drop the ball. We will fail. But we will never excuse it. We will never reason with ourselves that it is okay, that we'll sweep it under the carpet. There's been a little bit more uh, helpful talk in the media this week about abuse in marriages and in churches. It's good to be talking about. It keeps exposing of where we do fail and where we don't get it right. We won't excuse it, we won't sweep it under the carpet, we'll never reason that it's okay. Can I remind you this morning, or perhaps if you're new with us, that new life has a code of conduct. It's on the table over there. It's on our website. 
There's a policy there for how we handle abuse and how we seek to care for those who are vulnerable. You can look it up on the Jericho Road, Breaking the Silence website that we are part of. You can go there for advice if you need it at any time. If you want to share something, you can share that with me or one of our elders. Or you can contact our conduct protocol unit through Breaking the Silence. Uh, John Flood is who you'll get on the phone at the other end. Uh, He's a wonderful guy. If you need to share something with him, perhaps about me, or one of our elders, or one of our leaders, phone the conduct protocol unit. They'll give you advice. They will listen to you. We'll never excuse it. We won't sweep it under the cover. We won't reason that it's okay. We want to be like Jesus, tender towards those we have responsibility for, those who we are serving. Now, while all this is going on, back in Mark's Gospel, watching on is this desperate father who is wanting Jesus to get to his dying daughter in time to heal her. But it's too late. Verse 35, people come from his house to tell him the sad, tragic, heart-wrenching news that his daughter is dead. Is it too late? Jesus says in verse 36, don't be afraid, just believe. Now here Jesus invites Jairus to do what the woman had done. Jesus invites Jairus to believe, to have faith. Again in the New Testament, these are the same words, believe and faith, trust, it's all the same word. Not wishful thinking, faith is not the power of positive thinking, but it's about putting your trust your confidence in Jesus, putting your confidence in who Jesus is and what He can do. And so the the logical sensibility of faith is always dependent on the object of faith. And so we want to ask the question here, is it sensible for Jairus to put his confidence in Jesus? Is it sensible? Well, from what we've seen, from what Mark has told us about Jesus so far, Jesus looks like the guy who can do something here. With what you know about Jesus, is it sensible for you to put your confidence in Jesus today? When we encounter Christ in the Bible, when we see and hear of His work in our lives and in the lives of those around about us and right throughout the world, it is logically sensible to put our trust in Him. Jesus invites Jairus to rest his trust in Jesus as they return to his daughter. As we come into the final verses of this chapter, Mark's account slows right down as Jesus keeps heading towards the girl. 
What was at the beginning an urgent life-saving mission is now a slow, sad funeral march. Every detail here shows just how heavy the shadow of death has fallen on this family. There's crying, wailing. In the midst of all these emotions, laughing at Jesus' suggestion that this girl is just sleeping. And then we can come to the sincere moment where Jesus has cleared out the room, but for the body of this dead daughter, he and the parents. And in this room on which the shadow of death has fallen, the one who can calm the wind and the waves with a word, the one who can heal every cell and blood vessel in an instant, he gives life to the dead with a touch. He takes the girl's hand and he says, Talitha cum. It's tender, it's a beautiful, life-giving moment. An amazing miracle. The dead girl is brought to immediate life and renewed health. Now, what's just as amazing about the healing of the woman and the raising of this dead girl is that Jesus is not contaminated by their uncleanness. Blood is ceremonially unclean. Yet it seems that when Jesus is touched, he doesn't become unclean. Dead bodies are ceremonially unclean. Yet when Jesus reaches out and takes her, her hand, it seems that he is not contaminated. How is it that Jesus can be touched by a bleeding woman and that he can touch a dead girl? Well, because Jesus is bringing a kingdom that is uncontaminated by the shadow of death, of sin and uncleanness. Follow with me in your Bible, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Here we see summary statements of what is going to happen in Jesus' future as he's walking amongst his disciples. Summary statements of the kingdom that he is bringing. Mark chapter 8, verse 31 Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, every time Jesus says Son of Man, he's talking about himself, the one promised in the Old Testament who would come from God with all of God's authority and all of God's power and all of God's glory and all of God's honour. Jesus is saying he is that guy and Jesus is teaching that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Breaking through death. Chapter 9, verse 31. Chapter 9, verse 31. Jesus was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. Jesus is going to punch through death. Chapter 10, verse 33. Chapter 10, verse 33, Jesus says, We're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. We'll hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Over in verse 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is bringing in a kingdom that's, and its light is going to shine into the shadows of death. Jesus confronts the storm, Jesus confronts sickness, Jesus confronts sin, Jesus confronts demons, Jesus confronts disease, Jesus confronts death to save us out from under the shadow of death. Now you see, this shadow of death is not just a storm though, not a spirit of evil, not sickness, not a bad day, it's not stress, it's not persecution, it's not cultural marginalisation of Christianity or even death. It's the dark shadow of sin that hangs over the world and infects each one of us. It's God's right judgment of sin and we all live under a shadow of condemnation and its consequences. Yet what we keep seeing in Jesus and ultimately at the cross, Jesus walks through the shadow of death and out the other side, uncontaminated and into the light of new life for us and for the world. He confronts it in storms, he confronts it in sickness, he confronts the demons, he confronts the disease, he confronts death, he confronts God's judgment on the cross for us and he walks through it for us into the light of new life. Now for a moment, we might be intrigued by these kind of stories, warmed, inspired, encouraged, but it is written down that we might be captivated by an encounter with Christ, that we might be affected, changed, transformed, drawn irresistibly to Jesus in faith. You see, under the shadow of death, faith in Jesus is the only sensible response. Only faith in Jesus will lead us into the light of new life. Psalm 40 says... I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Is this the story of your encounter with Christ? I hope so. Not just a story that warms you, but a story that captivates you in faith. And if this is not your story, I hope that you might continue to be struck by these encounters with Christ in Mark's Gospel as you keep meeting here with people with church and, and rubbing shoulders with them and hearing their story. I hope that you might be struck so that you might put your confidence in Jesus for life, for new life, in the shadow of death. 